0: Welcome to Trashy Divorces. Week 70 million. That is not even true. (laughs) It's not even true. This week, it is the week of... It's not right, but it's okay.
1: It's the princess and the bad boy. God, so... Times two.
0: Good. This week, I covered the trashy divorce of Whitney Houston and Bobby Brown.
1: Which is super sad. I mean, the... That...
0: God. It's super sad. The remarkable part is I made it through without any tears, even though as soon as we wrap this, I'm going to do my crying alone. Aw. It is tragedy. It is a tragic story. Yeah.
1: Today. No, it, like, it's a. It's just sad. It is so sad.
0: And Whitney Houston is an angel. And mm-hmm. this week you covered another princess and bad boy who... Mm-hmm. Ugh, yeah. Uh, a little... Shower after slightly that.
1: different. Yeah. So I've got uh, Sandra Bullock and...
0: Who is charming, yeah.
1: We love her. I mean, we're not. God. Occasionally, people suggest that we may bring some bias to our podcast, and indeed we do. <laughs> we, we are A-OK with that, and we love Sandra Bullock. If and we, loving Whitney Houston,
0: and Sandra <laughs> Bullock is wrong. We don't want to be right. I don't want to be right. No. Nope. I do not love Jesse James. No, not after that. The
1: cheating cheater who cheated and probably continues to cheat to this day. Nice.
0: So, yeah, that was this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, good, good, good stories. Before we get started there, mm-hmm. let's talk about what happened on Patreon. Patreon this week. Sure. Let's, oh, we. Oh, we did. We made a start here. Little Little thing. We did for Tuesday. Because there's a lot
1: between. We're trying to organize our workflow. Yeah,
0: for real. Between Trashy Tidbits, Trashy Tutors, Fun With Done, there's a whole new series that's going to launch October 2nd, side chicks Mm -hmm, that's mm going to surprise mm -hmm. you because they're not all chicks. And we've got so many fun things in there. Oh, we've got bonus divorces. We have the book club. And you actually announced something really exciting this week about a new series on Patreon.
1: I'm going to be doing trashy politics. Yeah,
0: you are. I don't know that
1: all of these will feature a divorce, but just political scandals that get me excited as they do, as they are want to.
0: I think the ones so far that you've got planned all feature divorces, yeah, or side chicks, sure. or something equally as trashy. I can't even wait for that coming. I think that'll premiere September the tenth. Okay, that'll be the second Tuesday. I've got my bonus divorce coming up this I Tuesday. Get, I need to get writing. I, we both do. Whiskey Rebellion, people. Ha. Anyway, so a lot of stuff, fun so, Oh, trashy tidbits on Thursday. We did a kitchen sink thing. We updated the world on Frida the Backyard Cat, mm-hmm. which was a lot of fun. We'll talk about that a little bit in my Whitney Houston story. And we did updates on. Hell, Did Miranda, we do updates Lambert, on, yep. beach, beach Balls <laughs> and Brad Pitt oh, and yeah, Jen yeah, Aniston. Yeah. And, Separately. Oh, I had a Princess Megan update. No, we went all around. We went to Kathy Griffin. But
1: yeah, it was a kitchen sink. It wrapped up several of our trashy divorces. Not wrapped up, but it had several Trashy Divorces threads that we like to pull on when we spot news.
0: Oh, hell, Trashy Tutors this week. I did Isabella of France. You did. Uh, Married to Edward II, so that predated our Hundred Years' War and our War of the Roses thing. Anyway, there's a ton of stuff happening over on Patreon. Feel free to check it out. Patreon.com slash Trashy Divorces. Yes,
1: yes, the story featuring Hug Dispenser.
0: Hugh Dispenser, which Stacy took a little liberty with. Anyway, who heard all about Hug Dispenser this week? <laughs> Who's in our magic mirror, Stacy?
1: Welcome and thank you for joining to Amy H, Susan W, Alyssa
0: R, Rachel K, Miss E A L, Melissa O, Amanda O, Jennifer O. C. And Pamela V. Thanks y'all thank so you. much for joining us over there. We've got some it's not right, but it's okay. Sort of stories to tell. A princess and the bad boy. You ready to go? I am ready to go. Or do you mean... Go, go, go. Go, go, go. Yes. Let's do this.
1: Alicia, you have a particularly heavy hitter of a subject this week.
0: It's a. It's a...
1: <sighs> Is there anyone who does not love...
0: Your subject this I, I don't know. think so. I don't think so.
1: And her she, story and she is will,
0: tragedy and triumph. And she will always love us. Ah, she will always love us. So I was already working on it when it turned out Frida Biscatlo, Yard Cat, Yard Cat, is Whitney Houston. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And founder people, and I figured it was all very prophetic and universal. That so. that
1: is true. Yeah, she. She picked up the, the name Frida based on a, an earlier episode. Turns out her real name is Whitney Houston. Whitney Houston. And we were
0: already working on this episode. Her people found her mm-hmm. this week and Frida has been reunited. It's a heartwarming story. And Frida is Whitney Houston, which is amazing. So I'd already started working on the story and I was already kind of like, just, it's just sad. And ah, oh, okay, so then... Frida's Whitney Houston and it's amazing. So, we're going to tell the story today of Whitney Houston and Bobby Brown. Sure. I'm mm. going to get so emotional. I'm, mm, there you go. I'm
1: I'm going to buckle in cuz I know there's a lot of tragedy in this story. Princess Oof. and the bad boy?
0: Mm. Or was it? So, I've always said that Karen Carpenter has the voice of an angel and there's a female voice to counter the male voice of John Denver. I would like to hear Karen Carpenter. But I was wrong. Whitney Houston is an angel, and I would like to hear her voice instead if the pearly gates and songs are a thing. Okay. She's the voice, man. And this story is filled with addiction yeah, and bisexuality mm-hmm. and a hot, passionate marriage that was consumed by a really big secret that they shared together. There's a lot going on in this story. But I think it's very much an every woman's story. We're going to talk about the drug use and the addiction, but nah, I found all these repetitions that keep coming back as the story develops. And I think they are really relatable to what so many women go through in a crap marriage. This marriage lasted 14 years and most assuredly had ups and downs, but some common themes. I'll never leave them because I'm going to prove them wrong. It's hmm. a good one. Oh, with my religion, divorce isn't an option. Mm. Habit holds you there, mm-hmm. whatever that habit might be. Yeah. Uh, fame and expectation. Whitney Houston had a great quote that said, success is not the problem, fame is. And it's, you know, it, we've seen it over and over in so many episodes that it's not the success. It's right. The fame that does you in right
1: success is empowering fame can cripple you
0: probably the biggest one of all that oh god and this 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 one gets to my heart and then we really are going to start the story is let me diminish myself and make myself smaller so you can feel bigger and it is never a good look for anyone right okay right it's it happens let's do this Whitney Houston, mm-hmm. born August 9th, 1963. She's a Leo gal. Okay. We know all that, about Leos yeah, here. Yeah, that does not surprise me. She has two brothers. She has a mama and a daddy with a little bit of stardust on them. Mom is a legitimate gospel star in her own right. She was a backup singer for Aretha Franklin, who is Whitney Houston's honorary godmother. She wow. calls her Aunt Re. Wow. Oh, She was also backup singer to Elvis Presley as well as her niece, Dion Warwick. So that's good. The, the, this family knows fame. Oh, yeah. Dad is a record, record executive as well.
1: Oh, inter- you know, I had no idea that. Mm-hmm.
0: All right. Okay. So she, this was the family business. This was the family business, but there's a difference between music is the family business and show business. Okay. Because they weren't like the eclipse kind of fame. They were, Very successful people who did very well in music. Right. And Whitney takes it off to a whole new level. Mama Sissy also has two Grammys. Yeah. the awards, not... Yeah. Okay. No, not two grandmothers. I know. We got all confused. Two Grammys.
1: Wow. Wow. I had... So that's quite the starting place for... Quite the legacy. a
0: talented child. Very true. And she is a talented kid. Whitney appears at one of her mom's shows one night... It's just like a little, little. And Whitney sings and the the stage gets rushed. Like, and her mom is like, God has given you this talent. And Whitney, like so many kids who discover they really like to sing, heads on over to church. And for her, it's gospel music. Mm-hmm. She's raised, like, her mother's mm-hmm. a gospel. It's like, of course, gospel music is what she wants to do and it's mm-hmm. her calling and she loves it. And in an Oprah interview in 2009... Whitney talks about being introduced to gospel young. She heard it constantly. You know, I had a mother who was an entertainer. I'm a singer because of her. I just wanted to be a background singer and sing with my mom. No one in high school even knew I could sing. But she tells her mom. Her mom's like, all right, and teaches her how to do it, works with her in the studio. This is how you record. This is how you negotiate a contract. Mama Sissy also Gives her, because Whitney knows all about the positives. Mama Sissy gives her all the negatives. Right. She taught her the things that she otherwise wouldn't have known. And Whitney Houston, like, starts out as a teen model. She's on the cover of Seventeen, and she's super lovely. But Clive Davis gets a hold of her, and Whitney ends up having this career that her mom, like, has always wanted to have. So Mama Sissy is pushing her Super hard and pushing her and pushing her. It's a fine line between supporting and put uh, yeah without sort of that back compensation of I don't want to say love that's probably not the right word but it's it's a drive and a determination without really the safety net to fall. Whitney has to be perfect and that crafted image. Clive Davis takes and hey we can make you into a pop star. They end up doing eight albums together, but Mama Sissy's always in the background. Her first album in 1985 comes out. It sells 30 million copies. It is the highest selling debut of a female artist ever. Self-titled like takes off 1986. She's got four Grammy nominations. She performs saving all my love for you that year. She gets her first Grammy for best pop vocal performance. She's honored by Dionne Warwick, her cousin, and Julian Lennon, if you Yikes. can imagine yeah. such a thing. When her second album comes out, she has seven number one consecutive singles, beating the record held by both Elvis and the Beatles. Okay, okay. Whitney's on fire, and Mama is driving her career with Clive Davis right there, you know, on the pedal.
1: Can you imagine being the person who's like, wait, I just, I just blew up the record set by Elvis Presley And the Beatles.
0: Hmm. I mean, she's on top of the world. Yeah. Or at least the world that has been constructed for her. Right. She is obedient. She's making mama's dreams come true. But Whitney has a really good friend, her best friend and assistant, who they met when they worked at a community center in East Orange, New Jersey together. Her name is Robin Crawford. And they're probably lovers. It's quiet and a big secret. But Robin loves her and manages her and cares for her and really is that nurturing thing. She becomes her assistant later, her creative director. She travels the world with Whitney and everything is going to be rolling along. But in the Houston family, it's not ever going to be okay to be gay.
1: Well, and in the 1980s, like it's still a touchy thing today. In a perfectly but...
0: crafted image, Whitney. Mm-hmm. Like, in the 1980s, like. You don't the... come out as bi. Like, no. Who the hell knows what bi is in 1985 anyway? Right. David Bowie fans. Yeah, well, (laughs) there you go. I don't know the crossover between Whitney and David Bowie. Uh, I don't know. Okay. Even Sissy, her mom talked about it after Whitney's death. She talks to Oprah in 2013. And Oprah asked her, like, would you be okay if Whitney was gay? And Sissy Houston's like, no, absolutely not. It would not have been approved or condoned. Right. So that's a lot to grapple with. On Whitney, perfect princess, pop star, that leads this life sort of of code switching. Like, there are a lot of R&B stations that won't play her as... Why? Too gospel? N- no. Too pop? Too-, too white. Oh, too what? Oh, sorry. Like, she's not one of us. Like, she's so... Like and So, mm-hmm. it's a lot of expectation. I guess she... I,
1: yeah, I guess she was a massive, like, sort of crossover appeal artist
0: very much so very yeah. much so and it it's a lot to grapple with mm-hmm. right hey i'm in love with my best friend who's a girl but i'm also a pop star and my image is everything all the time and i can never step a toe it's a lot oh man and then complex complex okay, okay. so we're going to just leave whitney grappling with all of that and okay. Trashy Divorce's train it seems depot. Super comfortable, and we're gonna see what's happening on the other side with Bobby Brown. Okay, born February fifth, nineteen sixty nine. A little younger. He's an Aquarius baby. He's a air sign, so fire and air. They're gonna be a explosion, oh, which wow. they are. And at the tender age of three, little Bobby sees James Brown perform, and it's on. And Bobby knows just what he's gonna do, and where does he get himself to? Church. Yeah, this thing, like. Oh. Every other kid he wants to sing. So he is just as driven about this. I love music thing as Whitney is. But his road is going to be a little bit more difficult. Bobby lives in the Roxbury neighborhood of Boston. I think the Orchard Park projects. Okay. And it's it's not the easiest life ever, but he has a group of friends and they can all kind of sing and what do you do when you're a bunch of 11-year-olds? Let's start a band. It, it is basically what you do. That's what you do. Yeah. And they end up performing one night in 1981 at the Hollywood Talent Night at the Strand. And they don't win, which would have earned them like 500 bucks in nice. a contract or something. Wow. But they get second place. But the producer of that show is a guy named Maurice Starr. Mm. Mm-hmm. And he likes them so much, they come to the studio the next day. To record what will be their first album to come out in 1983, "Candy Girl." Okay. Okay. So these five kids are like 13, 14 years old. Like, they're pr- I
1: mean, did their parents? Teen boys. Did their parents give them permission to go to the studio with the
0: nice man? Like that's just, I see. I think so. That's creepy. I think okay. So. And there they go. record this album, and it's a hit in Boston, and it's sort of a hit in the nation. And they're like, yeah, let's take six months and go on tour. Like, you should hear them talk. Like They're like 14. A bunch of (laughs) preteen boys. That's crazy. And the tour bus rolls on up into Roxbury. And, like, everybody's coming out of their house like, what the fuck kind of alien spaceship is this? But the kids go on tour. No parents. The only discipline they're getting is going to come from the people that they're paying. So... We yeah, have six months to do whatever the hell we want it's to a do. good system. <laughs> it's my provocative. Okay. So they're living a dream life. Yeah. Six months later, I mean, the girls and the fans and the shows and the everything. Mm-hmm. Six months later, they come back. The bus drops them off and everything's still exactly the same. They're like, was this a yeah. dream? Like, what just happened? But it's okay. Yeah. Because they know they're going to get a check right. for all of that hard work. And the check comes... And when it comes... Life-changing. Life-changing in that it is uh, a check for $1.87. Are you... Oh, my God. They got fucked. Yeah. And they're kids. And their parents are not musically savvy... Like the Houstons are. Right. So they don't know how to write a contract or say, no, I need to own the royalties to my music. (sighs) Or when we go on tour, we get the receipts, not you. Yeah. But they don't. Yeah. We got a record deal. It's like James Taylor, when he signed his first record deal, he was like, I just wanted a sandwich. I was hungry. Like I would have done it. I didn't know I was getting fucked. I just wanted a sandwich. Right. So... Oh, that sucks. I mean, did they ever did they ever extract, you know, their earnings from this guy? So there was a civil suit that was settled out of court. Okay. But they end up breaking that deal. They sign with MCA. Okay. But what they don't know is that they're undersigned with another label going through MCA. So, so they're exactly they're too, in the exact yeah, same situation. Two money people above them. So they don't make any money for their second album either. Oh my God. So they each end up borrowing half a million dollars a piece from MCA to get out of the bad underwriter contract. So their whole third album. Good Lord. That is lighting the world on fire is simply to pay off the debt that they're already in to MCA. This is. Not why you get in the music. This is obscene. Uh, Yeah.
1: That's, I mean, uh, God. Okay thieves it's thieves everywhere thieves
0: it's tragic thieves. like i didn't know this much about bobby brown uh-huh. like my assumption was yeah bobby brown's been in jail a lot drug problem you're kind of an asshole but but also he's been taken advantage of at every stage of his career every stage of every his career. stage of his career okay okay so now you have five 16 year olds who are mad who are mad <laughs> underpaid with a and a lot angry. of fame but they're 16 <laughs> so they have a lot of ego mm-hmm. and the Front guy of the band is like it's every lead singer ever getting the attention. And Bobby Brown's kind of in the background like, I'm not so into this. So he starts sort of making the show his own by ripping off his shirt, taking over dances, like doing other things that are not in the pre-programmed set list that they've rehearsed every day for four years. Right? MCA kind of calls the band in and has a little consultation with them and you may want to do something about bobby this is this is going to hurt your image because they're the popcorn candy teaser just like whitney like right they're crossing over in a big way as well and bobby's going to ruin you you know you can't keep this candy candy image okay I'm sure that a bunch of 16-year-old kids from Roxbury were like, "Oh, we're really into the candy candy thing." No, they hated it. <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> sure, like, they did. Wearing fucking pink sweaters, uh-huh. like uh-huh. this is not because this is not them. They are girling and mm. drinking oh, and drugging sure. and having the time of their lives, but working to protect this super squeaky clean, right? Okay, right. the
1: the yeah, the safe, you know, nice young men
0: image, right? December 1985, Bobby is voted out by the band. And Bobby Brown will tell you, like, yeah, I left to go pursue a solo career. Nah. New Edition voted him out. Okay. But that's cool, because Bobby is going to have a solo career, which he does. His first album's kind of crap. But he kind of lays low for a while, works pretty hard on his second one, with some help from, like, Babyface, L.A. Reid. Gotcha. His second album, Called Don't Be Cruel. When it comes out, manages five top ten hits. Yikes. Okay. Bobby's riding high. Yep. Yep. Okay. Making it work. Now, before we hook these two crazy kids up, let me just remind you right now that Bobby is already a father of three. Wow. Okay. At 20-ish? Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, His first kid was born in 1986. This is not his girlfriend's child. This was a side piece. He has had a girl. Steady on and off, girl, since 1980 when he was 11. She has their first child in 1989, the second one in 1992. That 11-year relationship ends when she finds out that Bobby is engaged to Whitney. Oh, God. Yeah. Okay, so how does it happen? Why are people awful? I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to use Whitney again talking about this, that their meeting was not strategic. They were at the Soul Train Award show. And she was watching him, and he was flying. He could move. And he flirted with her first and asked. And this is, hey, if I uh, asked you to go out on a date with me, would you say yeah? It's, a, it's an easy, smooth way, men. Just, hey, if, if I were, it's, you're gaining consent. You're asking permission to ask. It's a very good way to ask someone out. I don't know. Okay, but go ahead. It worked. Sure. Okay. At least on Whitney. They date 3 years before they get married. And she
1: and uh, he's still in this what would be an 11-year long relationship over here while this is
0: all going on. Oh yeah. Well? yeah, yeah. Okay, great. Yeah, great. yeah, yeah. Cool. Yeah, it's cool. Cool, cool. It's cool. Uh they find this like god, ah, passion and crazy love and they look at each other and just sweat, but it's so I'm totally paraphrasing her. It's sweet tenderness and like We both do the thing when the entertainer comes out, but at home he's in control. He's the father. Like she used to be so in control of her life and there he comes along. And when he says something, I listen and it's so refreshing for someone to have control over me. I could release it to someone else and just have fun. And he taught me to dance and okay. Okay. And her BFF, Robin, is physically getting into altercations with Bobby Brown and is one day formally exiled from her circle. Uh Uh-oh. Okay. But Bobby and Whitney are on and everybody's talking about the princess and the bad boy. (laughs) They get married in 1992. It's a big to-do, but Bobby recounts in his memoir that that is the first time he sees Whitney doing cocaine. Mm. He says he does not partake, but he... Just like, yeah, I was shocked. Like, I didn't, I don't know if you date someone for three years and have that hot, crazy thing. That doesn't ring, like, you wouldn't know about someone with a, even for fun, drug habit on the day of your wedding if you've dated three years. That rings a little false. It it does indeed. Okay, so even in the late 80s, Robin has gone to Mama Sissy to tell Sissy about Whitney's drug problem.
1: Oh, then there's absolutely
0: no way that that was... Exactly.
1: Yeah. No, if she'd she'd been a pretty consistent user.
0: So part of this is her in retrospect in 2009. I'm taking some of these dates from her, some of these from research and tab... Like, website will have the references. Anyway. They get married in 92. She's making the bodyguard and suffers a miscarriage. She still has to work the next day. Mm. And she says, yes, the drug use is happening here, but it's controlled. It's not an everyday thing. I do it to relax. You know, I've kind of got a handle on it. But both of them are doing it. But the problem, well, an additional problem to add on, is that Bobby is a drinker. Whitney is not a drinker. But Bobby is, an apparently a little bit of a mean drunk. In 1993, they do have a baby, Bobby Christina. And after the bodyguard comes out, 93 to 95 are just kind of filled with a whirlwind. They have a baby in one hand. She has the man she loves. And at this time, Bobby Brown puts everything aside and goes with her on this ride of stardom and fame. And Whitney says somewhere inside something happened. A woman shouldn't have that much control if the man doesn't have his own thing. He needs to have his own because now Bobby's sucked in Whitney's life and it becomes. So a, he's like her side piece basically. Yes. Well, and people call him Mr. Houston. Right. Like his own agency. Right. I mean, this is a 16 year old kid who was stripping at new edition shows. Like, yeah.
1: Yeah. But I mean, so was his career kind of just on hold at this time? His career's
0: on hold as he's okay. supporting her. And they're also having wild drug. Fueled up relationship sure. and share this big secret that mm-hmm. keeps them super connected. And their new parents. I mean, what could go and wrong? And their new parents. So he's sort of in the shadow. He's supporting her, loving her. She says we fought and loved hard. But here's where, because she feels like he has diminished himself so much, he doesn't have his own. Here's where she begins to play down all the time to compensate. She's trying to please them. She's trying not to be so big. And she's dimming her own light constantly to, it's not the way to do it. It's just not, it's not a good look for anyone. No, and I feel like this is probably prompted
1: by not her noticing that he's become smaller. So she's going to become even smaller. He's probably mad. He's probably frustrated.
0: Oh, he's going to get real mad. Uh Uh-huh. Hang tight. Yeah. Okay. So by 1996, while filming The Preacher's Wife, she is using every day. I'm assuming he is as well. So the marriage is four years old and they are really going to ride this addiction thing out. They're both doing the career thing, but they really like hanging out at home, locking themselves in their room and smoking joints laced with cocaine or cocaine rock, which is when it's fun, I suppose a lot of fun until it's not fun anymore. So mama sissy numerous times tries to uh, step in and assist, but Whitney Super stubborn. Y'all said it wasn't going to work and I'm going to prove you wrong. I can make myself so small to make Mm. him happy. Mm. We're going to do this. By the late 90s, she's missing all kinds of dates and concerts. At a performance in 2001, it was like Michael Jackson's 30th anniversary. She is so real. Like you can see her, like it is the talk of the industry. Mm. And even Michael Jackson comes to her like, hey, I'm worried about you. Yikes. Now, in retrospect, in 2009, she talks about being so worried for him at that show. Bobby, meanwhile, during this time as well, is being arrested over and over for battery and battery and possession and some DUIs. Battery oh, of her? Not battery of... Well, maybe once, but the charges were never filed and dropped. Okay. But, he, but there, there are indications there was violence in the relationship. She says... No violence. Okay. The one time he tried to slap her, she picked up something and hit him over the head three times.
1: Okay. That's violence in the relationship. (laughs) His family. Her
0: family had already kind of put him on warning as well. Like, don't raise a hand to her. But Whitney grew up with two brothers. So she talks like he wasn't going... It was emotionally abusive to the extreme. But from what I understand, from what she communicates, not... So so there may have been an incident here or there, but it
1: wasn't like a he wasn't beating her. Physical trauma. She wasn't hitting him with ashtrays well, routinely either. Okay.
0: I think there the emotional abuse mm-hmm. in here is going to be severe. Mm-hmm. So he's arrested over and over and over. He's also not paying child support. She is always there in court waiting for him. She's waiting for him when he gets out of jail. Like she is doing the I am the supportive wife and divorce is not an option. And whatever I need to do to make this work is whatever I'm going to do. So they're addicted to drugs and each other. Uh, And it's that little secret that they share. But it's not a secret because everyone's talking about it. And Mama Sissy is trying to get her help. And it's use no like formal rehab programs at this point, apparently. But let's take her away from the situation. Let's get her clean. Oh, she's doing better. Let's relapse. And every time it cycles, it gets worse. And her family is worried and terrified, and it's the cycle over and over. So then we get to the infamous 2002 interview with Diane Sawyer, which is tragic. The best part is the little sleeping Yorkshire Terrier next to her. It was a bad day, and she was using.
1: And they're they're 10 years into their marriage now?
0: Yeah, 10 years in. And this interview gave us such memorable lines as crack is whack. This is actually about Whitney defending that she never did crack. It's cheap and nasty. Crack is whack. You don't you don't do crack. It's not the, okay. Diane also brings up that it's been reported that they have a $730,000 drug bill. And Whitney God, says, Lord. show me the receipts. Also in this year, Bobby who was diagnosed with ADD as a kid, is also diagnosed now as bipolar. So drugs probably are not going to help any of the discovery and or treatment of that condition. I wouldn't think. I wouldn't think.
1: And I bet that, I bet, you know, I don't know, cocaine plays really well with whatever medication
0: might be prescribed to manage the symptoms of that. Like (laughs) Again, she says he is not violent. But emotion, emotional abuse sure. is his thing, and he's kind of the master. Mm. So after this, it's bad. The 2002 album is a flop. It's the worst oh, performing no. one ever for her. Oh, She's not going to release another album for seven years. Wow. After the disaster of 2002, they kind of unplug and go further into the pot cocaine hole. <sighs> and this is coming again from her 2009 interview with Oprah. It's fascinating because she, in this interview in 2009, is divorced and clean and has a pretty clear view of the problems. Whitney says, he was my drug. I didn't do anything without him. We were getting high together and he was my high. Like this was, this was our thing. Oh, Whitney never really goes to formal rehab. But let me remind you about the time because she thinks she can heal her addiction through spirituality. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that doesn't surprise me. And takes off on a tour of Africa and Jerusalem, meets the I kind of remember this. Oh god, it it's all bad. Okay. So okay, so
1: that did not work is what you're saying. It didn't work. Mm.
0: Uh so in 2005, Bobby Brown gets offered this reality TV show mm. called Being Bobby Brown. No. No. And it only runs for one season. And Whitney said she said yes just because she's a dutiful wife and wants to support him and didn't really know that cameras were going to be everywhere, be everywhere all mm. the time. And it really records a record mm. of it all falling apart. It, but mm-hmm. yeah, okay, I think I saw some of that back in the day. Uh, critics called it a train wreck, like it's bad. It's mm-hmm. and
1: because, uh, no, like, she was strung
0: out. She's it, strung right? out. Like, that's that's what I remember. Is, she's strung out and mm-hmm. he's strung out. And again, it's the cycle. So, all through this period. Yeah, is, these
1: are just, these are two people who just made each other sicker. Uh, you know, like,
0: entirely. Yeah. So, maybe one of them gets help and cleans. This is very like Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton. Um, One of them's on the wagon, one of them's not. And the other one's mad that we're on the wagon or we're not on the. Can, like, they can never really get that piece together but they're both addicted now i mentioned bobby is kind of a mean drunk but let me also go ahead and add into his alcohol marijuana cocaine thing that he started using heroin oh, to jesus so she is uh really diminished herself by this point and uh she is praying spiritually she's praying to god to give me the strength like i Okay, I I know this is bad. Uh, Mama Sissy ends up coming over to take her away with Sheriff Intervention at the end of this. But Whitney knows it's bad, and Bobby, one night, ends up cutting her head off of a portrait of her. Okay, Okay, I'm glad that's where cutting went, because I... No, Slash is a portrait of her. Jeez. And she's like, yeah, there's something not right about this. And Bobby, in his... I don't even know what kind of speedball you call that yeah, particular mix. Heads on down to the Ace Hardware and picks up a lot of spray paint and starts spray painting evil eyes in the bathroom, on their mirrors, on the closet doors, on the rugs, on the walls. So there's thousands of evil eye talismans. I'm run, looking at you. Whitney,
1: run. I'm always watching you. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I wish all the best for people battling addiction, but
0: God, like run. So Whitney's like, wait, (laughs) um, cut my head off portrait. I have evil eye talismans all over my home. Oh, also you're cheating on me like on the regular. Fantastic. Because I'm looking at your credit card bills and you're bringing all this filth into my home. And again, she's praying, Right, for God to give her that strength one day, just for her to go, she does good. Okay, Oof. one day she says she's going out for milk and sugar, and she never comes back again. What a
1: see! I've I, done that. I, I like, pulled that move. I like that story. in a different way. But I, like, I mean, I I know
0: how the story ends, so I'm super sad about it. But yay, good for her. Yeah. So Whitney like gets herself in a program with Bobby Christina. Good. She's able to dry out a little. She heads out to California.
1: Oh, can I just say like. Good for her because obviously
0: leaving the child with the dad is a really bad Mm-mm. idea at this point. Bobby stayed with her brother and sister in law for a little bit of time, mm-hmm. but there was a program that she was able to attend. Right, I bet there was a her lot child. of family counseling involved right. in it too. That was probably really helpful. So they moved to California, and she's waking Bobby up to get to school, and she's there when she comes home off the bus. All regular like, but Whitney's like sleeping through the day. She doesn't get out of her pajamas for six months. Now here's the super additional tough part is that Bobby Christina is now a teenager. It's like 2006 and she's 13 and loves her dad. And Why are you being so mean to him, mom? And this goes on for a while, but Bobby eventually kind of starts to see that both of her parents are pretty messed up, but one of them is there for her and keeps her promises and One does not. Right. And I'm sure
1: that I'm sure dad was being plenty manipulative through phone calls and stuff. Oh, for sure. Yeah.
0: We're going to follow up on Bobby Christina, I think, for Trashy Tidbits on Thursday this week. Okay. Because that's a a, really sad story too, right? It's a sad story and there's not enough to... Remember when we were going to make just a little comedy podcast about (laughs) celebrity divorces? (laughs) This celebrity divorce is final in April of 2007. And this time rehab maybe does... Dick, like after a few pretty bad years, she pulls herself back together. Whitney releases an album in 2009 after a seven-year absence. And it looks like things are going really well. Yeah. We're really rooting for her. But addiction, really, it's a disease. And 2012, she has relapsed, is found dead at the age of 48 on oh February 11th. The coroner's office is reported that her death was caused by drowning and the effects of essentially heart disease and cocaine use oh that's a terrible mix too yeah Yeah. the amount of cocaine found in her system indicated she did use shortly before she died also in her system were benadryl xanax and flexoril oh pot too so it was an accidental death there was no foul play just a that is a it's Terrible. Bonzo combination.
1: Benadryl, Xanax, and those are all. Flexeril is a muscle relaxer. Like, and cocaine. Like and pot. Well, I yeah. mean, that's like kind of background level. But like, what? Yeah. What? What was she going for? I wonder. Zone out. <laughs> I mean, what? What do you go like to hide? Like addiction is. Trauma. It's like I. I feel like if you pull all those substances together, you might end up just sober.
0: <laughs> you won't. You won't. Don't you do won't. that. won't. Do, don't do that. It's just so sad. It's terrible. Like addiction claims another angel. Mm-hmm. And it's the saddest because she had every advantage in the world. And money and power. And you can get help and you can't get clean. Like what about everybody else? Like she has a family that stands beside her and she can't get clean. What about the people who do it with no support? Like addiction is shit. Do you think she was partly... Trapped in the marriage because of her sexuality? Yes, I do. Because what, and you... what
1: happened with, did Robin ever, like, because she fired Robin at one point, right? She did. Did Robin ever
0: return to her circle? No. That is. No, Robin did get married in 2012. She's got two kids, mm-hmm. I believe, and is very happy. She did write a book after Whitney's death. But to go back to answer your first question, like you look at what demons Whitney was grappling with. And I think there is something seated in her bisexuality. Bobby Brown does admit in his memoir that she was and says, I really feel that if Robin was accepted into Whitney's life, Whitney would still be alive today. She didn't have any close friends with her anymore. Mm. Closets are bad. They're and bad. No and- one should have to live in one. Be bi, be gay, be pan, be whatever you want to be. Like,
1: how sad is it that the guy who enabled her addiction for so many years and participated in it, like, is the one left to remark on what would have saved her life? Like, that's tough. That is tough. But hey, you told a genuinely
0: tragic story without tears. I'm not done yet. Oh. uh -oh. Uh-oh. So learning to love yourself is the greatest love of all, (laughs) Be who you're going to be... And I think it's shitty that Whitney couldn't really do that, and in her life it was all image and expectation. Mm-hmm. And I'm sad about the whole story. Yeah, she leaves a legacy of that voice, uh, two Emmys, six Grammys, thirty Billboard Music Awards, twenty two American Music Awards. Acclaimed and celebrated, mm-hmm. Whitney Houston halos for all time. Yeah, Bobby Brown has proceeded to go through the mill, more arrests, more like it. I think by now he's cleaned himself up. He is remarried to his manager, a lady named Alicia Etheridge. They have three kids. Found an interview with him, I don't know, like a year or two ago. It seems like he gets that he has another shot in his life, and he sounds pretty grateful about it. But as, I don't know, as trash cans go, there's...
1: Yeah, no, it's that's rough.
0: All of it was bad. Addiction is bad. Mm-hmm. I feel like I should say something more profound than that. There's the trashy divorce of Whitney Houston and Bobby Brown.
1: Went out for milk and sugar. Went out for milk and sugar. Didn't come home. Probably bought herself several years of life, though. You know?
0: I think so. But, I mean, she, you know, heavy drug user for Mm -hmm. 25 years? Or whatever, 25 years of drug use? That's... Yeah. Yeah. Triumph and tragedy. Mm-hmm. There's the sad tale of Whitney Houston and Bobby Brown.
1: Well, thanks. Our little comedy podcast <laughs>
0: took a little turn, but that's
1: okay. Sometimes they will.
0: The best part, I really think, is that Frida Biscatler, the yard cat, is named Whitney Houston. That
1: seriously—that's the part I'm going to
0: hold on to in my heart.
1: When that very nice woman saw the cat and her it's eyes Whitney Houston. lit up, she was and like. I have to call my husband, boyfriend, not sure. But, you know, the the person who initially got a kitten and named it Whitney Houston. Who's been living in our yard. For six months.
0: I love it. We're so happy she found her people.
1: That's seriously the brightest side,
0: I guess, of the Whitney Houston story. We hope Whitney Houston, the human Whitney Houston, has found some peace yeah. as well. Okay, let's take a little break. Yeah. Come back with another princess and a bad boy. Yeah. Yeah, let's do this.
1: Hear ye, hear ye. At this time, I will be calling to order the official Sandra Bullock fan club of trashy divorces. Present, present. I'm here, I'm here. Mm
0: -hmm. Call this meeting to order. Okay, so... Order. uh, Order.
1: So as you may recall, uh, Sandra Bullock had a trashy divorce from a guy who it turns out was pretty much a real trash bag. So let's get into that. Sandra Annette Bullock was born July 26, 1964. She is a Leo, but she's cuspy with Ah. cancer. So that's fire and water. So she is herself steamy, Ah. which I think we would all agree with.
0: That's entirely true.
1: Okay. She had a really cool childhood. Her dad was army. He married a German woman. So she grew up mostly in Germany and Austria. Yeah. So, and her mom was an opera singer. So she had this. No way. Yeah. So Sandra had this amazing like army brat childhood in nuremberg germany and vienna and like and she would just travel around with her mom a lot uh, when her mom would be touring with the opera so like if she was a kid she's in ballet and she's she's like developing skills that are appropriate for you know performance work and she gets to actually be part of opera companies at a very young age it's just just a crazy i had no idea i didn't either i was so excited as an army brat Myself, although I never lived in Germany, I was like, yes, I know how this life felt. Okay. So first 12 years of her life in Nuremberg, Vienna, Salzburg, she speaks fluent German. Oh, wow. Yeah. She grew up speaking German and her mom was German and German. Makes sense. She's a dual citizen today. She has passports really? for both. hmm huh. So she's that, which also I think technically makes her an EU citizen, which is super convenient.
0: No lie.
1: No lie. Okay. So... In time for her to start attending high school, the army moves the family back to Arlington, Virginia, which is where she had been born. And her dad, I guess, retires from the army and becomes a civilian contractor to the Pentagon. Oh, okay. I don't know what her mom did, like in the. I don't know if she continued as an opera singer. Maybe she taught vocal. I don't know. I don't. Okay. But I was like, I noticed that that part that did not appear in the Wikipedia entry. Like, what dad did is explained. Hopefully, mom was very happy. She goes to Washington Lee High School in Arlington. She's a cheerleader and a theater nerd as perfect combo. as one would hope for. She went to college at East Carolina University in Greenville, North Carolina, yeah, which It's a very small town. Mm-hmm, yeah. And upon graduation, she moved to Manhattan to become an actress. Which it's a big leap, big leap. Uh, and, you know, hey it worked out for her.
0: I love it when it works out.
1: (laughs) So in Manhattan, she was lucky enough to study with Sanford Meisner. She took a lot of bit parts and small roles, supported herself as a waitress and a bartender. And as these things go, when the best case scenario comes into play, off-Broadway roles brought her to television, brought her to film, brought her to Keanu Reeves, and her 1994 breakout role in Speed. Speed Pop quiz hotshot. Yeah.
0: Such a good movie. Yeah.
1: Well, I don't know. I haven't seen it since then. So I wonder if
0: it holds up. We could put that on our list.
1: We'll put it on our list. I a lot. There are a lot.
0: Oh, my gosh. Sandra Bullock has been in everything good. But come on. She's just charming. I don't think Sandra Bullock's made ever a bad movie because... She's charming. She made Speed 2 in, in exchange for... No one else did either, but oh. in exchange for
1: for like backing for her next project, basically. Oh, okay. And she said later that she regrets having made that, that deal because the Speed 2 was apparently terrible. Never saw it either. Okay. So from here, from Speed, her career exploded and led to some of the most memorable film roles of our generation, largely because it's almost impossible to have had a television connected to a cable provider and not routinely come across charming-as-fuck Sandra Bullock movies, you have to stop on because...
0: It's Sandra Bullock. It's Sandra Bullock. Bullock.
1: It's you, impossible not to you watch You watch them all? Miss Sandra Congeniality? Bullock. Oh my God. Practical Magic? Every day. Every, all day. E- all the time? There was While You Were Sleeping, <sighs> which landed her her first Golden Globe nomination.
0: She's so cute. She
1: had a turn in a big-budget John Grisham movie with Samuel L. Jackson and Matthew McConaughey in A Time to Kill.
0: Oh, that was a good one. I'd forgotten about that. She was in Hope Floats with Harry Connick Jr. Uh, Hope Floats is an underrated little movie that was trashy divorce related. Yeah. It's oh, yeah, yeah. Remember? Yeah,
1: yeah. And then, of course, one of the greatest films ever made, 1998's Practical Magic.
0: So good. Which
1: I just realized was directed by Griffin Dunn, son of... Dominic. Your... It's all a spiderweb. You're Patronus. My just, fairy godfather. I just want to say names because I love all of these women. Uh, this brought together a remarkable cast with Sandra Bullock, Nicole Kidman, Stockard Channing, and Diane Wiest. They're amazing. It is such a nothing good... wrong with that movie. She was just getting started, though. Oh, she sure was. She was just getting started. In the 2000s, there were more permanent film favorites with Miss Congeniality and its sequel she had dramatic turns in films like Crash and the thriller Murder by Numbers she did more rom-coms like Kate and Leopold and Two Weeks Notice with Hugh Grant she was a huge star she was America's sweetheart and honestly like she filmed 28 days in Asheville North Carolina like not I don't I think it was not long before I moved up there for a couple years Ah, and so I knew maybe too I don't think I ever saw it, but oh, I like so I knew good. I knew people who had waited on her in restaurants or like bookstores or whatever, like people who had just interacted with her in the community, who said like she's perfectly normal, totally nice. <laughs> like she's she's exactly what you think she is, apparently. I love that. Yes. So on that note, we're going to Park Deer Perfectly Normal, Sandra Bollock. Charming AF. Charming AF. Sandra Bollock at the Trashy Divorces Depot. We're going to move on over to the bad boy who swept her off her feet while apparently also sweeping a lot of other women off their feet. Oh no. Yeah. He's gross. Okay. Let's meet Jesse Gregory James. Born April 19, 1969.
0: He is an Aries Taurus cusp. So basically we have two fire signs, right? No, There's nothing wrong with that. I just, I don't like him already. So it, I'm predisposed to make the ugh
1: Yeah. So, okay. Well, he was born in Long Beach, California, and it seems like his family life was pretty shitty. His parents divorced, I think, when he was five. He was really young. And he was raised by his dad, who was an antiques dealer, and also physically and emotionally abusive to him.
0: Oh, no. Super
1: good. There were stepmothers as well, who I guess were extremely cruel. Um, All of this is as he tells it, and I, having... Watched some interviews. Like, I don't consider him a terribly reliable narrator. Okay. I think he's a massive bullshit artist, but I I don't know. Like, clearly his childhood was not awesome. Like, (laughs) let's start there. So, you know, mean, mean dad, mean stepmoms. But next door to his dad's antique shop was a Harley Davidson parts shop. And so this little kid who I think is feeling very powerless in the world and just you know, awful, uh, is constantly seeing these gigantic, loud machines being driven by these extremely masculine men.
0: Power. Like this is, and yeah, yep, that's got yep, an imprint.
1: Yep. And it, it gets in his head and it's, yeah. So that's his thing. He was a tinkerer as a kid. I will, I'll give him a lot of credit on the score. He is like an amazing self-taught engineer, you yeah, know, like, okay. Yeah, he, anyway, we'll get into that. So, yeah, as a kid, he'll take stuff apart, put it back together. He's, it's it's his thing.
0: You should always let kids take stuff apart and put it back together or try. It's never going to go back together. Rarely. Some of it, sometimes it will. Apparently,
1: <laughs> that's how you can tell, like, engineers and physicists from the rest of us.
0: Let's take it apart. Can <laughs> if, we put it back if together? If there are
1: parts left over, it's the rest of us. And if there are not, then they kid isn't destined for NASA. Budding physicists <laughs> and engineers. Okay, so unfortunately, Jesse James also, as a as a child and teenager and ute, was also a petty criminal. Uh, he was a car thief. Oh, he was an occasional armed robber, by his telling of it. Put those engineering skills to good use, did you? Yeah, uh, he was extremely violent. Again, in his telling of it, and uh, that's all from his. He wrote
0: a memoir. He self reports on He self reports on his, nice. his yeah,
1: it's called nice. American Outlaw. Yikes. And maybe it's true. I again, I unreliable narrator, but I don't know. So he found football so he could channel his aggression into a way and I don't know. He got uh, he spent 90 days in jail for car theft at one point. He what? says like he says he was like all of the D1 schools wanted him to come play football for them because he was so good at it. But when the scouts came to to actually like talk to the kids at his high school, he was in jail. So he ended up at community college. Bummer. Might be true. <laughs> mm. I really like, I seriously, I have a lot of questions about this guy. So he starts at Riverside community college playing football, but he dropped out after two years with injuries Started doing security for bands like Slayer and Soundgarden, like hardcore bands. Danzig. Okay. During this period, he married for the first time oh. to a woman named Carla. They had two children. Nice. In '93, he was injured when he fell off the stage at a concert. Oh no! And so, like you do, he went and became an apprentice to a motorcycle customizer.
0: Oh sure. I I don't know how A got to be, but A got to be. I don't know. If you're recuperating, you think about the things that make you happy. I mean, I've been in a hospital bed six months. You think about the things that, okay, what do I want to do? He wanted to go play with fucking motorcycles. Yeah. I respect that.
1: Okay. So he opens West Coast Choppers, uh, which is going to be his brand going forward, in his mother's garage. And then he moved it into a tiny place in Long Beach. And he says he had been frustrated by the lack of style and The lack of risk-taking. Yeah, the lack of panache in the industry, in the (sighs) motorcycle customizing industry. I guess it's a thing. I don't know. He wanted to get really wild with builds. And uh, in 2001, the Discovery Channel chose his shop as the focus for its multi-part
0: documentary, Motorcycle Mania. We are not your typical motorcycle customers. We can barely walk without injuring ourselves. It's true. I don't think we're going to get ourselves on a bike anytime soon.
1: Yeah. So obviously, this is a great thing for West Coast Choppers. It also heralded the end of his marriage to Carla, uh, whom he divorced in '02, and immediately married his second wife, adult film actress and future felon, Janine Linda Mulder. Oh, I hope I spelled that right. That marriage lasted two years and produced a daughter named Sunny. Great. Okay, these were solid years for Jesse's professional life, though. From O two to O six, he hosted the Discovery reality TV series Monster Garage. Seriously, I'm so out of touch. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I missed this too, but I I'm not sure how because it really it would have been right up my alley. I was probably too busy watching Mythbusters. Basically, Jesse and his team have 5 days to take a vehicle like whatever, like a, just a car or a whatever and turn it into something weird. So they take a school bus and turn it into a pontoon boat. Great. They cut up a police cruiser and outfitted it so it could make its own donuts.
0: Oh, these are ingenious <laughs> ideas.
1: Uh, and no joke, he made a flying car that apparently actually flew. Okay, put wings on it. Like I the popular mechanics wrote it wings. up. Wings. Yeah, like it's 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 not uncool what is happening here, right? He's just a not a good dude, uh, like dirtbag to girls, dirtbag to dudes too. Like there's yeah. a lot of dominance, there's Perfect. a lot of yeah. We would append the word toxic to his form of masculinity, I believe. Okay. So, and if this project if the if the car they were renoing into whatever failed, if it couldn't do whatever it was supposed to do, didn't make the donuts, couldn't fly, whatever, they would drive it out to the desert and uh, Jesse would blow it up. Perfect. <laughs> it's kind of a kind of a no-lose situation for the viewer, I think. <laughs> so the show was a pretty big hit, really put Jesse on the map, made him a lot of money. And one notable fan of Jesse James and Monster Garage was a 10-year-old kid who happened to be Sandra Bullock's godson. Oh, so as a present... Starts. Yeah, as a present to the kid, she arranges a tour of the Monster Garage set. And in December 2003, we retrieve Sandy, Sandy Bullock, from the trashy Divorces Depot.
0: So she's just doing something nice for her nephew?
1: Basically, yeah. Where Ah. she has become smitten with a dude who seems pretty bad at impulse control, but is also hyper-masculine, builds loud machines, and often talks about the satisfaction he gets from beating people up running them off the road, ripping off his customers and other totally chill things. So
0: I, I have so many questions.
1: America's sweetheart, meet America's meathead.
0: Yikes. Yeah. Yeah,
1: so, super yikes. You know, opposites attract, I guess. Oh. <clears throat> they kept things pretty low key and low profile. They dated for about a year. I guess sometimes they like photographers spotted them vacationing in Hawaii and watching drag races in Las Vegas, but it just, it doesn't seem like it was something they played up a ton in the press. I read a 60 Minutes profile on Jesse by Vicki Mabry from February 05. And there is a single sentence toward the end that just says, He's dating Sandra Bullock. <laughs> like, <laughs> he's not, he doesn't answer questions about her. Like, she is not a topic. It's just a little Super biographical thing. There you go. Mm-hmm. They got married like four months later. So in July 05, wow. uh, the wedding was pulled off without excessive fanfare. Uh, or paparazzi, even. They held the ceremony at the Folded Hills Ranch in Solvang, California. And they shuttled in 300 guests who were only told that uh, there was going to be a wedding at 8 p.m. They pulled a Madonna and champagne. Mm, nice. Yeah, the guests were told to, to come over for a hoedown. And they had a bluegrass band. <laughs> I think it was called the Cousin Lovers. Perfect. Wow. Yeah. So Sandy walked down the aisle to a recording of her... Her mother passed away in 2000, so a recording of her late mother performing an aria called Casta Diva.
0: Aww.
1: Her sister made the wedding cake. Jesse showed up to the party in a red monster truck. I mean, in March... was the
0: day I've always dreamed yeah. of.
1: <laughs> so in March, just a few months earlier, she had told Vogue, uh, Vogue magazine, I was a bolter. I would get so scared because my idea of marriage was not a very pleasant one. And now I look at it in a different way. I threw away what society's version of it was. And I went, why does it have to be anyone else's version but mine?
0: And that makes a lot of sense. It,
1: it... does. And I think that actually it's very important that you do that before you get married anyway. Like, in any case, it just seems like this was not the right fellow to uh. throw that away for... Okay, anyway... So let's talk about what's kind of going on in their lives around this time, because there's just a mismatch here. In '06, Monster Garage goes off the air. I gather that Jesse frequently butted heads with the execs at Discovery, and in particular, uh, in 06, he insisted on going. In 2006, he insisted on going to Baghdad to trick out a Humvee that had been damaged in battle. Nope. And Discovery did not want him to go. Can't imagine why liability costs on that one. Sandra Bullock did not want him to go. Nope. Can't imagine. He uh he went. <gasps> Apparently he paid his own way, but they did air a thing called Iraq Confidential with Jesse James or whatever. Oh and, god. Okay. But I I mean, think about it though, he I think it was good for the troops that he hung out with and like built a thing with. O six was a very bad time in the Iraq war. And like, it must have been very, very nice for Guys whose job is like maintenance of vehicles to suddenly like have a creative project with a cool dude (laughs) who just flew into a war zone for no reason. (laughs) Okay. Apparently they lost all of his gear in Kuwait too. And so he had a bit of a delay while they found it. Jesse seems to view himself as some kind of marketing genius. So like, you know, the show goes off the air, but I guess he moves on and he keeps making custom bikes But apparently where he's really making his money is on West Coast Choppers branded merchandise with like the Iron Cross. Like his logo is very Third Reich, like, (laughs) but also kind of biker chic. I guess there's a lot of overlap there for, I think, not good reasons. But in any case, he acknowledged at some point that the shop lost money on the bike builds. Like all these custom choppers that they're making that retail for $150,000, he's still managing to lose money. How? That's a great question. Curious about this. Yeah. So it's the cash flow from all of his like t-shirts and like they just put the logo on everything. There was they. So it's the merch store. It's next the to it's the, the merch motorcycle
0: store. Mm-hmm. shop. Okay.
1: Yeah. Okay. He also like in oh six oh seven he opened a burger joint down the street from the shop. Sure. Like you do. And like he made the point in one interview that he's kind of the only television personality in america where you can just like call his workplace or show up at his job so he would there would be crowds of people at his shop because he's semi-famous so i guess he opened a burger
0: stand to uh feed them well you got to feed the people lunch at your hamburger shop diner merch store (laughs) come on buy a t-shirt buy a burger would you like fries (laughs) (laughs) and <laughs> a motorcycle Whatever. with that
1: yeah so both of the like his west coast choppers and the burger joint have both closed since uh he did a season of celebrity apprentice in 2009 I, he's apparently a big fan of donald trump perfect sandy meanwhile also had a few kind of weird years at work 2006 she did the lake house which made money but there was like a time travel element that sort of confused everyone and then premonition and oh seven also had it was presented in an out of sequence way i saw it it was it was confused it was not her best work just say that made a lot of money but her focus at the time really was i think kind of integrating herself into this new family because she was now the stepmom to three kids to like jesse's three kids in oh seven she said here's the thing i have children i married into children i love those children my concern and my love for those kids as a co-parent is no less than if I had had that child biologically. I don't see the difference between that and having your own child biologically. My priorities are love, my want, my wishes for them, my discipline, my rules, my fun is because of my children. I have them. I feel for the children I have in my life. And I would not change that. Aww. So, you know, she's she's got stuff going on. So also in 09, they... <laughs> They got into a custody fight with Jesse's second ex-wife, Ooh. who um, went to federal prison for tax evasion.
0: <laughs> oh, no. So they
1: end up with, full, like, Jesse gets custody of, or like, they Jesse and Sandy so it's get... way more than you maybe reckon with
0: going into... Yeah,
1: I mean, they're well-resourced, and, you know, I think it's just she supported him, and they ended up with custody. Oh nine was a humongous year for Sandra Bullock, though. She co-starred with Ryan Reynolds in the proposal, which grossed 317 million worldwide. Whoa. Earned her a third Golden Globe nomination. And that was really just the beginning of her year because she also starred in The Blind Side that year.
0: Ah, uh, that was a great movie.
1: It's everyone saw it. Right. <laughs> so it's a it, true story. It was a little too white savory for me, but you know, it grossed 309 million, won her a golden globe. A Screen Actors Guild Award, a Critics' Choice Movie Award, and, of course, an Academy Award for Best Actress. Yep. The day of the ceremony, she was interviewed by Barbara Walters and said, I hope that the same people that are in my house today will be there 10 years from now. Poor, poor Sandy.
0: It's not going to happen, is it?
1: Nine days later. (gasps) mm Mm-hmm. Oh. Nine days later. After nine days after winning her first Academy Award, In Touch magazine runs a story called The Ultimate Betrayal. This is an interview with a woman named Michelle McGee, who is a tattooed model and webcam girl who claims to have had an 11 month long affair with Jesse. <gasps> During the marriage? While she was filming The Blind Side. Oh. And she had all kinds of fucked up shit to say about what Jesse had told her. Uh, So one of her friends tells Radar Online, quote, She told me that Jesse's marriage to Sandra Bullock was for publicity. And that's why he did Donald Trump's show, Celebrity Apprentice. He never called on Sandra for money or influence because their marriage was a sham. Like, what is in it for her in that? Like, that is, again, I think this guy is uh, an unreliable narrator. And,
0: uh... And a dumb fuck. So I mean, you're cheating on your wife, who is Sandra Bullock. So you just tell whatever you need to tell your mistress to make you feel better about what you're doing. I Bobby Brown. Yeah, I guess you're gonna fuck around. And, uh, it's Whitney Houston, bitch. What's mm, wrong with mm, like mm, I? Yeah, I don't yep, understand yep, 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 yep. it. So
1: you know, as as a like the magazine, of course, had contacted sandy's people to get comment comment, right so she had moved out a couple days before this like got published the day it published but she didn't know
0: about any of this until they called for comment i mean she was an awkward turtle phone call i'm sure it went to her publicist who
1: then made some phone calls okay so a bad she, uh, yeah, well, she's supposed to be traveling the world to go to premieres of the blind side to promote her fucking movie. Right. And this thing hits the, I mean, it, this is a bomb that is dropped into her life, as you can imagine. So oh, she that is
0: not right.
1: She cancels her European trip. So the London and Berlin premieres, I think the Berlin, like the premiere party thing, they just canceled, but like, anyway. Jesse releases a statement the next day apologizing to Sandy and his kids for being a complete asshat, quote, this has caused my wife and kids pain and embarrassment beyond comprehension, and I am extremely saddened to have brought this on them. I am truly very sorry for the grief I have caused them. I hope one day they can find it in their hearts to forgive me. Over the next several weeks, more and more women come forward to report their affairs with Jesse during his marriage. No. One of them has 195 text messages to prove it. Jesse sees the writing on the wall and checks himself into a rehab center in Arizona for a little me time on March 26th. On March thirty first, Us Weekly publishes a photo of Jesse wearing an SS officer's hat, doing a Nazi salute. Oh under the god. headline, Jesse James posed as Adolf Hitler while dating Sandra Bullock.
0: Oh my god! It's <laughs> the headline you want. It just gets mm. worse.
1: Yeah, there was some helpful context as well. Quote, the photo comes out days after TMZ unearthed a shot of James's alleged mistress, tattoo model Michelle McGee, wearing a swastika armband at a photo shoot. No! These are are good people. I just... They're not. His friends were like, come on. Jesse's just a history buff. Jesus Christ. (laughs) Which does no favors to history buffs, who are not exclusively interested in the Third Reich. (laughs) I. Mm. His dad, which he says he hadn't spoken to his dad in like 25 years. His dad pops up, piles on with a video he posts online saying that his son was obsessed with Nazis as a kid. Oh no. (laughs) Thanks, dad. So Jessica Cohen at Jezebel. um, And again, we'll have all the links to everything (laughs) on the website. Jessica Cohen at Jezebel followed up With just a perfectly written response in a piece called, We got what we needed from Jesse and Sandra. (laughs) So she says, quote, But we suspected all of this, didn't we? We were teased with the maybes and the insinuations and suggestions, though nothing was deemed an actual fact. So our attention was held by the possibility that things were just getting worse. It seemed inevitable that they would. James didn't even bother issuing any real denials as reports of sexual harassment came out. And now we're up to mistress number five or something. In the tabloid justice system, we instinctively believe stars are probably guilty until proven innocent. And how can you provide proof that James wasn't bad news? You can't, but you certainly can provide visual proof that he was a total asshat. (laughs) Oh, my God. So on April 23, 2010, Sandra Bullock filed for divorce in Austin, Texas. Later in the year, praise the Lord. She completed the adoption of her then three and a half month-old son Lewis, a process that she and Jesse had begun several years earlier, and I think the baby had moved in with them in January. Jesse still brings this up as the worst part of the end of this marriage.
0: Whatever, dude, you're a Nazi. You've got bigger problems. <laughs> I mean, alleged,
1: alleged allegedly. Okay, so he's got this he's got this thing. I saw this interview with him, and he's like You know, under Hollywood law, it meant that I couldn't have a relationship with this child I love because I'm a cheating cheater. But like any any divorce attorney in the United States would have made a credible claim for visitation with this child if Jesse James had wanted that, right? Uh, Like this guy is... Adding just
0: Hollywood law to our Trashy Divorces bingo selections, because that's pretty Hollywood under, law. What the fuck is Hollywood under law? Under Hollywood law. Under Hollywood law. There are
1: no custody rules. <laughs>
0: bullshit, what you idiot. Asshole.
1: Okay, so woe is him. Woe is him. So, okay, look, he's just, uh, the cheater's gonna cheat. It's who he is. Sandra Bullock got free and clear. The divorce went through fine. Jesse goes on to date Kat Von D of LA Inc., the reality TV show, to whom sure. he became engaged, Yay. was dumped by, oh. began dating again, ah. became engaged again, Yay. and then was dumped by again. Oh. Because as Kat said, hold back your surprise. He's a cheating cheater who cheated on her a bunch. <laughs> <laughs> but don't worry about old Jesse. <laughs> In 2013, he trust me, you
0: didn't need to worry about that at all. <laughs> You're not I worry. wasn't.
1: <laughs> okay. In 2013, he married Alexis DeGioria, Perhaps is how that's pronounced. this This woman is described as a drag racer because that is also a profession, I guess. And she is also the daughter of the billionaire behind the Paul Mitchell hair care products and uh, Patron tequila.
0: You're joking. I'm not. So that I think that is a spider fucking web I think right there. Old Jesse
1: is gonna be just fine. That guy just Being always Paul Mitchell ends up air God bless America. Um
0: Hollywood Law.
1: Oh yeah. Later that year he rolled out his branded line of AR fifteen rifles. Good Nuh-uh. citizen Oh yeah, good citizen no. Jesse James, and lately he's been shopping a reboot of Monster Garage to networks that are not discovery because he hates them. It's so, a dude with problems. But money ain't one, to be clear, because his wife is loaded. He seems to like women with a lot of money. Just saying. Sandra Bullock is doing great. Thanks for asking. Uh, she has My since... mouth is
0: still on the fucking table from that trash bag. Yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. How's Sandra Bullock doing? She is. We are here for the convening am... of the Sandra Bullock fan club. I am so
1: glad that you asked. She is doing <laughs> great. She has since picked up another Academy Award for 2013's Gravity, which grossed seven hundred and sixteen million dollars. That is a lot of smackery. I don't think I think that's her second highest grossing. I wanna wow. say she voiced someone in the minions. And that's actually the highest grossing movie she's ever made. It anyway. Wikipedia is full of fun factoids. Mind blown. Not all of which I include. <laughs> okay, so yeah, Academy Award for Gravity. And she, of course, ruined my Christmas last year with the extremely upsetting Netflix original, Bird Box. Totally creeped me out. Did not feel right for days after that movie. No, it was going to creep me out, which is why I didn't watch it with you. I know. You told me to watch Dumplin', and I was like, no, I'm going to check out I Dumplin' warm your fucking heart. Dumplin' was great, and I, you were right, and I
0: was wrong. She the get- Unicorn Store. I find the happy feel-good shit. I don't go to the dark side. The blind <laughs> side, sure. The hippy-dippy unicorn side, all damn day. But the dark side, bird box. Looked terrifying. (laughs) It
1: was. It was was (sighs) really upsetting. Sandra Bullock also spearheaded what I thought was a very stylish and clever Oceans reboot with Oceans 8 last year.
0: She's so good. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. In
1: 2015, she adopted a daughter, Layla. She's been in what her friends describe as an extremely happy relationship with photographer Brian Randall for about the last four years oh good for her and uh apparently they don't have any particular plans to get married
0: but i can imagine not rushing in yeah right but she says that the kids like him better so (laughs) (laughs) nice photographer dude nazi who sells ar fifteen. i mean
1: allegedly (laughs) i don't think there's any proof he says he's not if that helps
0: unreliable narrator that was amazing.
1: I mean I had That's no a idea. Like, I, knew, I had no idea. Yeah, I knew she'd had a a a, a thing, but I didn't <laughs> God, he's gross. Wow. I mean, I'm guessing that the guy the self made Greek billionaire behind Patron is not one to be trifled with, so uh don't fuck around on his daughter, dude.
0: I don't know. If you've got that level of money though, it is gonna have a harder time getting out. Like that It's probably pretty undercover. I don't know. A leopard doesn't change its spots.
1: I sort of, when I saw that he had married someone whose occupation is described as drag
0: racing, (laughs) I
1: I knew that there was more to the story.
0: (laughs) And the fact that she's the daughter of a billionaire makes perfect sense. It is amazing what we uncover in Trashy Divorces. (laughs) How many trash cans do you give them? Oh, my God. Well, he's, you know, he's going to get five for the number of women who came forward and then do we take the trash cans into the desert and blow them up? That's a really good with yes. Perfect. Yes, we'll gun them down yes. with
1: AR50 with with Jesse James branded AR15s. <laughs> this guy is um uh, no, but one of the one of the mistresses I guess like gave TMZ a letter that she faxed to Sandra Bullock's publicist apologizing for the affair she had with Jesse really?
0: James. Really? Like, <laughs> I
1: well, but the, you don't give that to the press. I mean, that's just that's just a
0: plea for attention, right? Like that's. Yeah, no, it's something to write a letter of apology mm-hmm. to the wronged wife. Agree, but you don't give it to TMZ. What kind of sex appeal does that guy have? I I look at him, I don't see it, but I think that he's,
1: I he's got a, a type of masculinity that I think a lot of women find appealing.
0: We are not those. No. Women. <laughs> no.
1: No oh <sighs> anyway great man, story poor sandy bullock we love you we're so sad that happened you're doing great you're doing great kick ass we see all your movies you rock i don't know what you would have to do to make us stop watching your movies it's hard to imagine well let's
0: three cheers for sandra bullock let's call a sandra bullock fan club <laughs> to a close Thanks everybody. I need a gavel. I know, right? <laughs> boom, boom. We well, we can't bang on the pod. Uh, no, we've audio done that quality. before. Yep. Yeah, we we've learned that lesson. Mm-hmm. Thanks everybody for tuning in to another week of trashy divorces. Don't forget, next week is our holy cat. Stacy, can you believe it? Three season three finale. Oh wow! It's that where, quick. Where do the seasons go? I, the same place where broken hearts go. <clears throat> no, I don't know. So yeah, next week, our big season three finale, we will catch it back on the flip side with more trashy divorces. In the meantime. Keep it trashy. Keep it trashy. But not as trashy as fucking Jesse James, Oh, no kidding.
1: Oh, God. Also, apparently he's not related to Jesse James, even though he says he is. There's a society devoted to the descendants of the outlaw, Jesse James, and dude's family is not part of it.
0: After this episode, I don't know what I do first. Shower or cry. I, it's Unreliable
1: narrator. It's gonna be both. I love fiction featuring unreliable narrators. I'm less cool with fact featuring unreliable narrators. It's watching him talk is weird. That's
0: all we got. Yup. Bye Keep everybody. Cheers, everybody. And thanks to you for listening. Trashy Divorces is a hemlock creatives production created and produced right here in Atlanta, Georgia by us, Stacy and Alicia.